Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast on this uh, seventh day of July. Uh, how you doing today, Doug? Mike, I'm doing well. I enjoyed a nice 4th of July weekend celebrating our country, and we are within a month of the return of basketball, which you know I'm so excited about, so I cannot complain. Yeah, well, you know, that's... um yeah, you know, a couple of things as I, as I think about this. Sometimes I think I should do more of an intro here. So this is Professor Mike Lewis from Emory University, the Emory Marketing Analytics Center Fanalytics Podcast, joined by Doug Battle, um, just to make it more formal. More information always available at www.fanalyticswithmikelewis.com. But, but that being said, um, yeah, I mean, we, we could talk more about... I don't know about you. I'm a little tired about talking about COVID and bubbles. I, real quick, I'll say this. I, I think is watching the news over the weekend and this morning. The thing I find myself most fascinated about in terms of MLB and the NBA is the, let's say the cracks that seem to be appearing in these plans in terms of the um, training camps being shut down. How they're going to keep the bubble secure. And I just look at it as like, this is probably a harbinger, uh, an early indication of how complicated and how tenuous the fall is going to be as people return to schools. Oh, there's no doubt about that, Mike. And when you talk about these professional sports organizations, think about this. There is no foolproof plan that could prevent every athlete, every individual involved uh, from contracting this virus. And once one person does, there, there's no way of knowing how severe the case would be. Of course, that extends into colleges, yeah. and I think that's going to extend and into the, college athletics. Yeah. The reason I, I talk about school is, I, I mean, we're a little bit off topic here, but I think school ends up being critically important to the whole economy starting. So, I, so when I say school, I'm not just talking about college. I'm talking about grade schools, high schools. and But what's interesting to me about the... Uh, you know, like I said, the, these pro leagues is every time someone tests positive, everything shuts down. You know, there, there's such a spotlight on this stuff that it's hard to make it's hard to make forward progress. It's hard to gain traction into getting back to uh, back to the normal. But beyond all that, big story for this weekend, and I suspect it's going to be a big story for the week. This is also a topic that, um, frankly, this is a topic that. I find it a little bit strange of how much I've engaged with it over the last just about decade. But that is a potential name change for the Washington Redskins and, um, I don't know, probably Cleveland Indians. Yeah, it feels like this debate has been going on my entire life. But at the same time, things are different now, right? The world we live in is, is very much different than it was in 2005, and honestly, we're at a point where I, I feel like Dan Snyder and the Washington uh, the Washington R words will will actually change their name. And to me, it, it's surprising that we haven't heard more about these other franchises, right? That use Native American imagery um, or even tradition as part of their own tradition. And of course, I'm talking about teams like the Kansas City Chiefs or the Florida State Seminoles. I'd expect to see a little more backlash toward those franchises and programs once uh, the Washington R-words make a change here. 
Okay, well, let me give you a little bit of background how I am, how I came to spend as much time on mascots and team names as I have. So I, uh, I went to the University of Illinois, and I was, I was teaching down at the University of Florida with uh, a gentleman, Rich Lutz, really, um, all-time, an amazing marketing professor. Uh, and Rich created an assignment. This was around the time with the, and the, the chief controversy, Chief Wick had been going on for a number of a number of years, and and t- you know these controversies almost all have the same structure, at least on on campuses. The alumni want to keep the mascot, the team name, the faculty, and the some sometimes the students, the activists want to to move on to something next. Right. So the the chief was finally being retired, and I want to say this is oh seven oh eight, and Rich Lutz came up with an assignment where he asked students to reposition, to come up with a, a branding strategy that repositions uh, the University of Illinois. Um, and so when I moved over to Wash U before I got to Emory, I, I took, I, I borrowed Rich's assignment and uh, actually did some modifications to it. So I, I started off with uh, the Illini assignment, but it was so... It was so painful. So to, to those of you guys out there, even at um, elite schools like Washington University or Emory, you'd be amazed, Doug. You'd be amazed at the number of students that want to pronounce the state of Illinois as Illinois, because there's an S on the end. <laughs> and even students taking a class on sports marketing that will refer to them as the fighting Alini. Oh, and, no. And, and so after a while, I, I gave up and I started to, I started to make the assignment a little bit more general. And, and for a couple of years, it became the Washington Redskins assignment. And then over the last couple of years, it's been, I, I just asked the students to go out there and take a look, you know, ad- identify a team that has something of a problem in terms of their branding and come up with a solution. Now, the other thing that's gone along in parallel with this as I did some research and this is a this is a tough area to do research and we'll link to we'll link to this article it was a New York Times op-ed piece that I think is actually pretty topical where I was reporting some some research at the college ranks and at the professional ranks and this is this is tough to do and I would refer to this research as good faith research and that it's not it's not cold you know, bulletproof analytics because there, there's just not enough variation in the data to really tease these things apart. But doing some work that basically showed that, especially at the college level, that changing team names did not have a long-term adverse effect on, on, on fan bases. So I, I've been coming at this from student angles in terms of what do students think should be done about team names uh, from the research angle. And really just looking at this for, and I never would have thought of this, that I would have spent the amount of time I have over the last decade on, well, on team names. So let, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. And I, I know you, I, I've noticed that you're going to refer to it as the Washington R words, which feels safe at the moment. Well, Mike, you can never be safe enough when it comes to these sensitive topics. And uh, I don't want to be in the history books as, as someone that used a, a slur. It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to refer to it as that for the time being. Well, and and they used to when this first started coming out, like the the Washington NFL football franchise. Now I'll say this. I'll throw a little bit of a 
I don't know if it's a cheap shot or not or a realistic shot. I mean, to me, the interesting thing about it, this is this is the Washington, D.C. Redskins. So think about this. At this moment in time, there's not a part of that name that isn't a problem. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right. You've got you've got George Washington. Um, you've got District of Columbia, Columbus, a Columbus tie in and, and Redskins. So this is I, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, this has been the big topic in all of this for uh for a lot of years. Um, but, you know, like you said, it, it, it is spreading. So let, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you have any thoughts? And this is not this is not fair to you because this is just right out of the gate. Any thoughts on what direction the Redskins or the Washington NFL franchise, what Dan Schneider could do next? Yeah, I've certainly seen speculation on the Twitter sphere regarding uh, a next move. Well, what are they talking about? What suggestions? I've, I've heard the red tails, a tie into the Tuskegee Airmen. That one feels safe. Well, Mike, it might feel safe, but we got to remember the time we're living in. And I don't know if transitioning your mascot from one oppressed people group to another is the best move here, right? Because it can be viewed as honoring them, um, just like it can with, with the current situation, but also could, could be viewed as taking advantage of or, or making light of the uh, oppression of a people group. And so, I don't know, at least they could keep the HTTR hail to the red tails. Let me add something to that because I think you make a really good, insightful point, a very intuitive one that on a lot of these things, because if you look at the history of a lot of these team names, the the names were originally uh, meant to honor whatever group was in question. And but then you know decades passed, and those, those original intentions are, are forgotten. The uh, social mood shifts, and suddenly they become a problem. So I, I would use the phrase, and this was a book I was exposed to a long time ago in a graduate school course at the University of Chicago, "Thinking in Time." And, and so the, the the message there was: think about the decisions and what people were doing at that moment when the decisions were made. But I think you can also look at it as, can you look ahead and potentially say, is this something that is going to be safe in the, in the long term? So I think, you're, I think you're, you make a very important point in any of these renaming uh, discussions. Yeah, my, my personal favorite I've seen, and I got to be honest, this was brought to my attention by my older brother. Shout out to, uh, to Daler, but the Washington Wookiees, okay? Not an oppressed, Wookiees? yes, okay. yes, the Wookiees, not an oppressed people group tie into Star Wars and Disney, right? One of the biggest fandoms in all of entertainment, all of a sudden, might be drawn to your football team, all of a sudden. And they're they're warriors, they're uh, they make awesome noises, and they their mascot is essentially a Sasquatch. I think it'd be fantastic, partially, well, partially well, let, kidding. Let's stay there for a second because that the, one of the things about mascots, and, and even you can ask the question is, do team names and mascots even matter? And I, I would say they do in a way, and, and they don't in a way. When you, when you talk about the Wookiees, that, that reminds me of, well, Look, there's a lot of great mascots out there. Uh, I, came from, I came from Illinois, and Illinois is known. A lot of these kind of Midwestern farm towns have truly great mascots. I, I think in Illinois, they have the Tutopolis wooden shoes. There's the Mattoon corn jerkers. You know, some of this stuff, and major, minor league baseball, I think, has really been notorious the last couple of years as well in terms of doing kind of fun <laughs> mascots. Yeah, Savannah um, Bananas is my favorite. Which one? 
The Savannah Bananas. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this, and it, it is a funny one. Whenever these days, whenever they let the fan base pick a mascot, it's almost inevitable that you get to something that is really a uh, novelty situation, and you have to ask the question, is this really a great idea? Let me ask you if you're aware of the mascot of the Rhode Island School of Design. I am not aware, but I would love for you to enlighten me. Well, why don't you, uh, do you have a, you got a computer there? I know you do. Yeah. Type in RISD, R-I-S-D mascot. Okay, Mike, I now see why you would not say the name of it. And uh, you probably know why I wouldn't feel comfortable discussing this. (laughs) (laughs) wondering how you're going to deal with that one so you're right out of the gate you don't need to we can the, the listeners can look that one up on their own well that is a huge sigh of relief um it's certainly not what you want <laughs> in a mascot and i think this was the uh this was the result of you know whenever you let the fans do something you're gonna get savannah bananas you're, you're gonna get something you're gonna get something that amused the people doing the vote and I, I think one of the one of the issues, one of the many issues, and, and I, I agree with you. I think the Redskins are going to make a change. Snyder is going to make a change. The question is, how do they go about it? So, what are the factors that you, what are the factors that you think about? And so, I guess the first one you put out there was, well, you want something politically safe. Um, you like the idea of this tie-in to the Star Wars, the the Wookies, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, the Washington Wookiees. I do got to say, I am a little biased to Star Wars as a big Star Wars fan, but it would make me want to buy some Washington Wookiees gear. I can tell you what, after doing this assignment basically for half a decade, what some of the student ideas are. And you you can react to, I'll, I'll put general themes out there. So one of the common ones is the Washington Redskins, but you replace the Indian profile or the Native American profile with a redskin potato. Yeah, I don't know if that's my favorite. Um, you still got a what's now considered a racial slur in there, and I understand that it would be describing a potato, but is it really? <laughs> is it really? comes up every year, though. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the creativity from the students. I really do. Okay, the, uh, we, we mentioned, uh, I've seen that Red Tails idea multiple times. Yeah, and their design is phenomenal, by the way. In general, the most common themes, though, are that, and this is an important part of marketing, right? The, the idea that you want to keep as much of the equity, equity that has been created. And so for Washington, D.C., in general, the proposals almost go in sort of two broad categories. One is an effort to retain some of the native, some of the indigenous Native American people imagery, the positive aspects of that. Um, that's a little bit tricky. I've seen the Washington, uh, the Washington uh, DC wolves. And, and, you know, I, I'm not sure that I'm going to communicate this adequate, adequately, but sort of this, this notion of this connection to nature, um, you know, you just think of like Indian, you know, tri- tribal names of, you know, lone wolf or these kind of things. So efforts to go in that direction or even more commonly, and, you know, forgive me for sort of butchering that one, or efforts to tr- do some sort of political or military tie in. Yeah, I've seen a lot of those. 
I, I suspect, and, and you tell me what you think too, I, I suspect that the way this conversation is going, there's been a lot of discussion about having all the relevant stakeholders a, at the table. And so if they are going to do something with the Native American community, and, and again, I don't know what that would be, something... Um, you, you could imagine that the, the goal would be to pick something that enables that, and you would probably keep the same colors, but to go into that path of whatever positive associations, you know, truly something that would honor, honor those groups. Now, I think, as you, you, you well pointed out, what is honorable in 2020 might be a problem in 2030 or 2040. Now, on, on the other side, the government or the military side, that's the one where I, I really feel my age when they say, well, we'll do the Washington, D.C. Admiral, admirals or uh, the Washington uh -huh. generals is a, is a right. common one. Um, right. <laughs> the generals. Obviously, these kids do not know about the, the Globetrotters. Uh, well, to be fair, the Washington football team wins about as often as the Washington generals do, for those of you that keep up with the Globetrotters. That is an that is an overstatement, Doug. They win uh, the DC football team wins four to five games a year. The Generals probably win a little bit less than that. Um, but no, it, it, this is um, that 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 gets to part of this story too, as well. And you know, when is the right time to do? Uh, well, let's let's go back to just even the the military tie-in or the government tie-in. That one always strikes me as a little bit dangerous because at various times in this country. The military has a, you know, right now, thank you for your service. There's a lot of positive feelings towards the military. And I think folks growing up now don't feel like that could ever change. But if you go back to the, the 60s and the 1970s, mili the, the connotations connected to the military were, were pretty negative. I mean, I, I can even, you can even make the case that two months ago, this country loved first responders and this month, a, a nickname that had, has, was a tie-in to a police department would be a disaster. And, and so I, I do think there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential landmines in, the, in these discussions. Oh, no doubt. There's a lot of potential landmines everywhere, if we're being frank. And uh, that, that raises a question, Mike. What do you think is the best approach for a team being named uh, to pick something that fans are going to embrace, but that ages well and is not later considered problematic when, when it comes to the mascot or the team name. Yeah, what a great word for your generation, problematic. <laughs> cringe, I cringe every time I hear that one. Right. Um, I, think, I think the Florida State, depending on how you want to go about it, I, you know, what Florida State did with the Seminole Tribe, I think has been very effective. So it's a means of... Keeping the keeping the brand, keeping all the associations that the alumni came up with, but doing it in a way where the the Seminole Nation has a lot of input and potentially even some control over the imagery, that that is the way to get to to turn this story into a positive. And and so, I th I suspect if you are Dan Schneider, the way you've got to deal with this, because you, you have to have the Native American groups at the table for this name change, that in some ways you've got to let them steer this ship. And again, hopefully this is coming across as kind of very little judgment on my part. I want to approach There's enough people that want to approach this from a more moralistic viewpoint. I want to approach this from a business, from a business standpoint. Sure. That 
you let them, you, you understand the moment in the culture and you let them help you craft something that turns this unfortunate situation into something that is a positive. So you, you're just taking this situation that is a disaster. And come on, the, the Redskins name has been a disaster in terms of endless controversies for at least more than, you know, more than a decade, 15, 20 years. To turn that into something that is now viewed as a as a home run or a touchdown for those groups that were formerly upset. Okay, so let me ask you this: the Washington football franchise has been one of the most valuable franchises in all of sports for my entire life, regardless of how successful they've been, and they haven't been successful. Um, how much of that value do you think is lost? with a rebrand for a franchise that has built its brand over the course of decades to become as valuable as they are now. I, I think at this point that everyone know in this case, everyone knows the deal. So I, I think typically like the idea, you know, the, the classic marketing thing is, you know, pick whatever brand you want. Let, let's say Apple is the most sought after consumer brand. It change that to pear or peach. Right. And, and that's a, that's a problem, right? Because suddenly people don't know what, they don't know what's happened. In this case, everyone knows what the deal is, right? If the Redskins change their name tomorrow, this is the biggest story on, you know, on ESPN and the newspapers. There's complete awareness and everyone knows why they did it. So I think those kind of concerns are are relatively minor. And even if you're concerned about a backlash of the fans of that, they're going to feel abandoned and they're going to the, their connection to the Redskins Super Bowls in the past are going to be lessened. I, I think this is a special situation where there is so much attention that everyone understands the shift to to something new. So I, I would say that it's not a not an enormous concern. Now let me ask you a question, Doug. Okay. So the Redskins probably going to change the name, and I suspect the Cleveland Indians are going to change their uh, their names as well. What other teams do you think of as needing to go down this direction? Or, mm. or let me ask, or I could ask the question, who's next? Does it end with the Indians? No, no, I, I don't think it does. The first team that, that comes to mind, or I guess the next team that comes to mind is the Kansas City Chiefs. We're talking about a franchise, uh, not only with the Native American imagery and uh, wording in in their title and in their logo and branding, uh, but also in which the fan base has embraced that, and it's part of their tradition. Uh, many of the fans you'll see wearing war paint or headdresses. And again, this is something that, or there's a fine line, it seems, between honoring a culture and uh potentially dishonoring it or disrespecting it and, and the significance of it to its people. Well, let me ask you something. Is it even possible for sports fans to honor a population group? I mean, how are sports fans? Sports fans are going to be drunk, painted up. Is there any way that it doesn't end up being a caricature? That's that's a great observation and question, Mike. You know, I don't know that, that it's been done. I think in a other eras it, it just was perceived differently than it is now okay let me th- let me throw something for you to react to so last semester when i did this assignment in class the kansas city chiefs are one of the teams that uh, a student group chose to address and their suggested new name was the kansas city cues 
to leverage Kansas City's barbecue reputation? Mm, I, I I don't like it, Mike. <laughs> it, it feels uh, cheesy, although there's there's no cheese involved. That was a bad joke, but I, I don't like it. it. It feels so off-brand. This is a team that recently won a Super Bowl, and uh, it feels wrong. It feels feels like you're just... I don't know, trading in their history for some for some food. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things I love about the assignment because your reaction to the Kansas City Qs is perfect because I think in this case, it's it's a big part of it that how are just the basic the 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 run of the mill fans going to react when there's a change like that that gut feel response is absolutely critical in this. Are the are the news are the sportscasters going to make fun of it? Um, you know, it's it's something where you don't need any technical, you don't need any analysis, you don't need any stats. It's just this gut feel reaction of does this work or not? Right, and more times than not, a change in name is not going to feel right to the average fan. I remember when the Seattle Supersonics moved to Oklahoma City, and they were floating around names, and they decided on the Thunder, <laughs> and it it was so weird to me, and I think it was to a lot of people. Where like, there's not really going to be an NBA team called that. And uh, they were, but sure enough, they were pretty successful early on. They were a young, exciting team, and they were embraced pretty quickly. They built one of the the most passionate fan bases and loyal fan bases in basketball. Um, So, you know, it's something where it it can work. It it might just take some time. Yeah, so um, so what other, um, even going beyond the NFL, what other teams do you think are in, in play in all this? Well, before we depart from the NFL, there actually are a few more that come to mind there. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers and New England Patriots are actually both why two. The, why the 49ers? Because of the gold rush, uh, the the greed that is implied there, as well as um, some yeah. race-related issues in that time and, and during the gold okay. rush. <laughs> I don't mean to, I don't mean to laugh, but you know, it's uh, it, so the 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 49ers, um, 1849. I mean that's that's kind of an interesting thing, right? It's almost any name from that era is going to be a challenge or a problem. The the Patriots is a is a great take on this because that is something that you know just as we were saying that a lot of times when I've asked students in the past to rename the Redskins, they have come up with names from that essentially patriotic names. Um, and it is interesting uh, when I used to do the Illini assignment. Every year, there'd probably be one or two teams that would suggest somehow naming the the Fighting Illini after Abe Lincoln. And suddenly, in the last month or two, that has become, and I'm sure this was always an issue, but it has become a very public issue that those names are not appropriate to a significant or, you know, we don't know how big the segment is, but those names are potentially, again, a problem. No doubt. And I know when when you say that, that you mean it's really a problem to certain people or, or to certain uh, sections or sectors of, of the American people. But another team that comes to mind, and this one's close to home for us, is the Atlanta Braves, right? I mean, any of these teams with the Native American imagery and, and tie-ins um, are likely to be discussed, and there has been discussion surrounding that name and, and that mascot. Okay. Let me let me, let me me change directions because after I, I went down this path and – got a little notoriety in terms of studying the issue. I've gotten more calls in, in, 
and frankly, I don't quite get how this works. Um, you know, there, there are years where everyone wants to talk about, and it's always the Redskins and then a little bit the Indians. I mean, there's like a clear pecking order in terms of the teams that folks are the most mad at. <laughs> Over the last couple of years, oddly, I've gotten more media requests related to animal mascots than people mascots. Really? Animals? Yeah, and it surprised me a little bit. Do you, um, so you're not aware of this, this controversy? No, okay. this is one of the controversies I'm not aware of. And in particular, <laughs> the, in terms of the animal mascots, the one that is usually the, the biggest issue is Mike the Tiger at LSU. Go Tigers. And, right, right it, it, and it's, it was a little surprising to me when I when this first came across my you know my desk my email, and again more than half a decade ago, that PETA is upset at the use of animals as you know part of an entertainment product that yeah you're degrading a, a tiger's life for the enjoyment of for the enjoyment of fans. Now, even within the the animal space, I, I think something that's interesting about it is that, again, there's a, there's a pecking order. Somehow, the the smarter the animal, the more intelligent the animal, the the predatory animals of the tigers are more of an issue, and the the live animal mascots are where they come down than other. Uh, I was going to say folks, but other, you know, Ralphie the buffalo, or um, what's the name of the uh, what's the name of Texas's uh, longhorn? His name is Bevo, and I watched him almost <laughs> demolish Elga at the at the Sugar Bowl last year. Bevo, exactly. So, so less less concerned with with the I don't know the the livestock kind of animals. Now, you mentioned Uga. I I think, and I'm not saying this just to because I know you're a big UGA fan. I think Uga and Reveille at Texas A and M, the Collie, are probably the two best collegiate mascots. Because I think they've been successful in creating an environment where all 90 plus thousand people in each of those stadiums feels like they've got joint ownership of this dog. Wholeheartedly agree. I've had the pleasure of seeing a new Ugga unveiled before Georgia, and they will march him out in front of everyone. Um, this dog that has no idea what's going on and 100,000 people are cheering for him and uh, and take pictures of him. And then we all just kind of accept him as the dog we collectively own. It's a beautiful thing. And it's crucial to our fandom at the University of Georgia. Okay, so I think this was years ago and I did, I did an interview with, uh, I want to say it was CNN. And I made the point that I thought I'll go with the best mascot in college football because, and I, I used the phrase, we all love our dogs. And I got some pushback. I got some email basically saying, well, then maybe you don't know what the word love is if you believe these animals should be exploited for entertainment purposes. Oh, <laughs> okay. And well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a reflection of, again, what some say, what maybe a small segment out there, out there believes. Now, over the years, I've gotten actually a lot of requests to talk about UGA in particular, because, look, uh, Ugg is a, uh, is Ugg a good looking dog to you, Doug? He's the best looking dog. There's He's a great looking dog, right? Yeah. But he's not yeah. a, and he's very, pa- go on. He's, he's very pampered. He's treated very well. That dog is royalty in Athens, Georgia. 
Yeah, okay, he's very pampered. Okay, he's also kind of an extreme looking dog, right? Extremely good looking. Yes. No, I, I know what you, I know what you're going at or getting at yeah. here. Well, I'm not going with this. I'm I'm talking about what other people have done. And so the issue is that Uga is an extreme looking dog. It's and also for, as a as a non UGA person, uh, that dog is half head, right? Yeah. He, he he's a he's got a giant head. He he looks like he's just a giant head with muscles on two inch legs. But he's an amazing looking animal. Amazing. So the issue then has become, is he a healthy looking specimen? And folks have made the case that over time, bulldogs have changed a lot in this country as they've been bred for more, let's call it extreme characteristics. And so uh, the bulldog, I think, is maybe the most common collegiate mascot, uh, Mississippi State, Georgia, seven or eight others. Gonzaga. So, but the case has been made that if, if people see dogs that look like Aga, then guess what kind of dogs people want to purchase? They want dogs that look like that as well. Right. Yeah. So you end up in a feedback loop where the breeders are responding to the demand and the cons- consumers are demanding dogs that look like their favorite team mascots. Okay. So now dogs are being oppressed because of sports. Is that right? Am I, I get that right? <laughs> well, I, I think it's, it's it's just a mentality, right? In terms of our relationship to to members of the the animal kingdom, right? I um I've got a couple of dogs. I think you've said you've got a dog. Uh, these are clearly members of our families, but I mean, in my case, I feel like my dogs are members of my family. Yeah. But but there will be a a, a debate in terms of. Like even the the vocabulary, are these pets? Are these family members? Um, And again, I'm not going to take this one all that seriously at the moment. It's more just a matter of kind of highlighting where a lot of this stuff can go. Now, let me tell you one more story from class. And maybe I've told you this story as well. So over the last couple of years, as I've opened it up to uh, allow the students to select the team that is a problem, two years ago, we had one that... When we tweeted out the suggestions, this one went viral because it was picked up by the mascot of the team. Have I told you this story, Doc? No, but please do. And so the the team that the the students selected was the Nashville Predators. Ah, yes, I see. I see what the problem is. <laughs> okay, so what's the what's the problem with predators? Well, how do I put this delicately? Um, there could be an association with those who uh, exploit children. Okay, so Chris Hansen to catch a predator. Right, right. And that that was it, right? The, the, the word predator. And so the team creates the team name. And I think the, the background on that is there's been uh, saber-toothed cat skeletons found in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And so the team name is based on that. But the word over time tends to take on this Chris Hansen show to catch a predator. And suddenly there's this uh, there's this mental association to that word to a, a pedophile or a child abuser. And suddenly that nickname has got to go as well. Yeah, I can definitely see that. <laughs> I can also see it being like subconscious. Too, like an association. But that one, that one went viral because Nash, the 
the, 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 the mascot for the team retweeted it with something along the lines of the professor should rebrand your group with F's. So that was, a <laughs> that was nothing but fun. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure you hated that publicity that you got there. <laughs> um, but honestly, that that team name might be the one most in need of change now that I now that I look at it. Now it way. creeps you out now that you hear it, huh? <laughs> exactly, it does, and I can't unhear it or unassociate it now. So thank you for that, Mike. But from from a more serious uh, point of view, it seems like more often than not, these team names and these mascots are changed uh, more so because of the business side of it. And the fact that these negative connotations may be bad for business and it may negatively affect the team's image and their brand. And so I think for a team like the Washington football team right now, the world is getting to a point where their current branding is no longer beneficial to them. And I think that Dan Snyder is, is the kind of person who, who looks at things that way. I do. And I think that he's going to end up making a change um, because of where the world is now and, and, how there's such a negative view of his franchise because of their name and, and their refusal to change. I, I agree with that. And I think that's a good, that's a good way to bottom line and finish this out for today that it, it has just reached a point of frankly, critical mass. I mean, the, the, the article that we're going to link that I wrote years ago um, is still kind of, kind of perfectly fits the, the current situation where it's, it's not a, and again, I'm, I'm trying to avoid it, just take more of a pure business point of view on, on this issue that it's just a battle not worth, it's a battle not worth fighting. His upside in terms of keeping the name, I'm not sure what his upside is, right? And so it's this reality of accepting accepting how the culture has shifted and what the culture looks like it's going to be in the future and coming up with a marketing plan, a business plan that fits this reality rather than, you know, putting a stake in the ground and wishing the world was different than it is. Exactly. And I think regardless of what he does, he's going to be criticized by somebody. I think that's the case with anything. I think even with this podcast episode, um, you know, on the one hand, there could be someone criticizing it for not taking a stance in one direction and, and not taking it for the other. And I hope people understand that we're trying to look at this as objectively as possible and not necessarily reflect personal opinions or, or spark debate there, um, but look at it from, from a sports business perspective and determine what is good business and what what's in the best interest of franchises in this day and age. Okay, well, why don't we uh, why don't we end it for this week? Next week, we'll be getting a little bit closer to MLB and the NBA's relaunches. Um, as always, there's more content more content at www. Uh, so, till uh, next week or our next question. Thanks.